Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of D-Pod. Finally uh, recording again after a busy season with retreat and everything. And here in the studio today, we have our next alumni, alumnus, I guess. Uh, alumni is plural, right? It's hello, alumni, yeah. hello, Matthew. Hi. Hello. Yeah. Nice. Welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. So here we are. Uh, Matthew is a veteran. He's already been on before, but he was saying he felt nervous. So you all right now? I'm always nervous. You're always nervous. That's true, actually. I'm always nervous. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Insecurity. <laughs> All right. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so anyways, you just updated me right now that your company had a bunch of layoffs. Oh, man. How are you? That's kind of a big thing to the first time to go through that. How, yeah. how are you processing that? That's uh, recent news, right? Is that, it, as it's like, quite recent. Okay, it happened on, yeah. happened on Monday. Okay. So you know, Wednesday now. Thankfully, you're not affected. I am not affected. Mm. Yes, I am still employed. Thank the Lord. Yeah, I don't know. It's a lot. I mean, my uh, typically, I think engineering at my company has been less impacted than other departments, but 35% of our workforce is just kind of gone now. That wow. includes a lot of my team, which is, I mean, some of those guys have been there for a decade or so now. Wow. I'm like, dang. <laughs> wow. That's a lot. And they're all like really nice and you're know, like great mentors, super, right. super personable, you know, and uh, it's a lot of pressure now that they're gone. Yeah, yeah. Also, I get, there might be a part of you that wonders like, oh, how come I'm here still? That's and a big part of my thinking. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. It, it's tough because, you know, I used to work in HR and, and just I'm familiar with these tough decisions that somehow need to be made. And sometimes it's just purely tied to financials. Yeah. People who've been there for a long time, they get paid a lot they more, get paid a lot more yeah. things like that. And so it's tricky, but yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm thankful, I guess, you know, pers personally that you're not affected by it, but it is tough. And that just, it just goes to show you even like a solid job. What seemed like a solid job, like you can just go away like that. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So anyways, we're not here to talk about your company. I guess we're here to talk about your story. So Ooh. Yeah, so we're going to do that, all right? So we're going to, let's just start back from, you know, when you were younger and then we'll fast forward all the way through college and into, you know, you as a postgrad in our ministry now. Take us through, what were you like as a, what was young Matthew Chang like? I guess I'll start in high school because that feels somewhat most, most relevant. <laughs> high school, I was kind of, kind of a loner, but not really because I made a couple of pretty good friends that were like not loners. So I would just kind of be off by myself and they'd be like, join me and we'd hang out even though I'd probably still be doing my own thing without interacting mm. much with them. So that was, that was kind of me just mm. as outgoing. I'm still kind of like this where I'm like outgoing and I'll respond back if you talk with me. But as far as initiation goes, I'm probably more on the passive side. I'll just do my own thing, read a book or something and not necessarily mm. begin engagements of the social variety. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> so it's, so you're saying when you say outgoing, uh, you mean like, in terms of conversation, you're willing to engage in conversation? Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, you know, people call me like a chatterbox, right? That's kind of the view, which is not necessarily incorrect, but I am super bad at starting conversations on my own. Mm. And so I kind of need someone to be there and continue feeding into that or else. Well, yeah. well there goes the conversation. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And then you went to lab schools, right? I so, did. You know, super local. Yeah. Super local here. And when did you start lab schools again? That was seventh grade okay. when I moved from Texas. Well, I guess in terms of family background, I guess a lot of people would already know, but just for people who might not, like, tell us a little bit about your family too. Yeah. So 
my family is obviously super local because my dad is actually, <laughs> my dad works at the University of Chicago Hospital. Mm -hmm. So like I mentioned before, I went to the lab schools, the University of Chicago Laboratory Schools. So that's obviously very close. I have one sister who also goes to UChicago now and is also part of our church. <laughs> <laughs> and we did grow up Christian, or at least, you know, like our family is Christian, very Korean Christian, you know? And so we, we had a very church background. Yeah. So how has it been having your sister here as a part of our church? Sorry to be honest. <laughs> I had a young, I don't know if people will know this. I had a younger sister, you know, who's part of our church network, but we've actually never been part of the same church. Yeah. Interestingly enough, you know, my, my sister now serves in our New Jersey church along with my brother-in-law, but she went to San Diego for school. And then, you know, I went to Berkeley. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know what that, that's like, actually. So what is that like for you? Yeah, I mean, I want to say it's weird, but it's kind of not because we've yeah. always grown up like, you know, same youth group, right? Mm -hmm. Same church. And so this kind of feels like a continuation of that. Mm -hmm. You know, we're like at the same church meetings. Sometimes we'll go a whole prayer meeting or something. and We just won't talk to each other. But we'll, will we even acknowledge each other? I mean, we'll definitely like, see each other, maybe wave or something. But uh, yeah, it just kind of feels like when you're growing up as a kid and you're like at the same, mm. you know, like your your sibling is there with you at the church service or at the youth group meeting or whatever. Except you're in college now. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, that's no. So to me, yeah, because it, maybe it's hard for you to describe what it's like, because that's just sort of what you've known all your life. And so, yeah, that's just interesting to me. So if, when I see you guys interact, it's very natural. And, you know, you guys obviously are very fond of each other. Like, I, I think that's really or Matthew just raises eyebrows. <laughs> uh, at least one side is fun. <laughs> yeah, but for me, you know, my sister and I are six years apart in age. So we've never even experienced going to the same school together. Oh, wow. So for me, that's actually a foreign experience. And so in, in, in that way, I think it maybe feeds into the type of relationship we have, because I do think I was much more of a older brother, like almost a second another parent figure in her life, you know, especially when she was growing up versus like just a friend. And mm -hmm. so uh, I could see also, you know, you guys are also most, much more closer in age, I guess. And so it's maybe more of a friend dynamic that just comes into play there. Yeah. I, I am the older one by, you know, two and three quarters, basically three years, mm -hmm. but I don't feel older most times to be honest. <laughs> I definitely, it's an interesting dynamic. I'm not sure if it's exactly typical, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, I, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, typically it's like the older one that's like, helping the younger one or whatever, but uh. usually it'll be like, oh, we're home alone. I'm like rooting around the fridge for something to eat. And she'll just come down and start making something and be like, go upstairs. What are you doing down oh here? My. <laughs> like, oh dang. my. Like, Yeah, maybe one of these days that will flip. But uh, well, thank you, Lauren, for taking care of Matthew. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I know that one of the ideas we had was to bring you guys both on at the same time and have a sibling episode. Oh, so maybe in the future. So we'll, have, we'll get some more juicy details in that. <laughs> In that episode, but oh, now I'm scared. I guess coming back to sort of your then spiritual background, you started mentioning how you guys grew up in church. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? What was your experience of that growing up in the church? We'll just start there. Yeah. Yeah. Until we, we moved to Chicago in, in Texas, we were part of Soul Baptist Church, I think is the name. I Googled it at some point. It's something like that. It's a very, you know, like obviously Korean church. Hmm. It was a very, oh, there was a lot of kids, a lot of adults, big church very routine Sunday service feel. And there were like small groups. I remember our parents ran a small group, but then also there were youth small groups that you went to starting in like sixth grade. So I only mm -hmm. went to one year of that. And that was 
a really good experience that I think was would have been good for community, but then I obviously moved one year later. And so, mm, so the bulk of my experience in that Korean church was just like Sunday service, go hang out until the parents are done with their service, leave, a uh, very routine. And then coming into, you know, Chicago, we're trying to find a new church. There's not really a Korean church and a uh, family that lives in Chicago went to, still goes to Willow Creek and like the Barrington and such campuses, but they do have one in downtown Chicago so that's where we went to then for middle and high school. And that was a very different experience because mm-hmm. downtown Chicago, like inner city, the people that went to that church were a demographic that typically didn't have kids in my sister and I's age, like middle mm-hmm. and high school. Yeah, so so our entire youth group, I'm talking like middle plus high school was like eight kids, I think, you know, around then hovering around there. No, it's pretty small. Yeah. Yeah. And there was like a lot less happening outside of Sunday service gatherings. So it was like, you went there, you did your service. And then that was like it, you know, I could like, I was, I would call myself friends with the people there. Like we were super friendly with each other and that was nice. But then we never interacted outside of that. I'm I'm a bit of a, I don't know exactly how normal because like, I don't tend to text people or whatever, but we didn't really text each other outside of that. We didn't really interact outside of that, hang out with each other outside of that. And it was just very, oh, we're, we see each other and we're friendly with each other and like friends at Sundays. But then outside of that, there's that aspect of things. And so the social community aspect that our church is very, that we hold very core and hold a lot of importance on, I don't think I actually tended to experience that growing mm. up. And then the actual Sunday service stuff was like, kind of information, you know, being drilled into your head, not drilled, but you'd go over a passage, talk about it a bit. And that was sort of surface level. And so I grew up having a pretty decent knowledge of, oh, like this happens in this Bible story, this happens in this Bible story. Mm -hmm. But then that was like the extent of my immersion in that realm also. Mm -hmm. So I, I hesitate to call it like, you know, you don't want to overgeneralize anything, but I think I had a very vanilla kind of basic churched experience Mm -hmm. for an Asian American kid growing up in like Mm. the Southern slash Midwest USA. I mean, I don't know how else to phrase it. It was just like routine Sunday service. You kind of know the stories. You kind of believe like culturally and then socially because like Christian family at home, Christian church on Sundays. But then like, where does it go from there? Kind of. Yeah. Hmm. Well, do you, so I'm just curious. Do you think that, because I, without comparing it to, you know, like what you experienced at our church per se, but mm-hmm. just like, do you think that your experience of church being just primarily Sunday, does that reflect more on what was offered? Is that reflective of what's offered at the church or was that reflective of like maybe a choice that you made? The, the reason I ask is because for me, when I reflect back on my youth experience now, I very much had a just Sunday only experience, but I was actually like. because of me, because I think the church and when I reflect back on how actually the other friends, like I had a bigger youth group than you did, but there were more people that were friends and they saw each other actually throughout the week. I was one of the odd ones out that I was just busy. I had ROTC stuff on Friday Uh, nights. I had, I never stayed after on Sunday. You know, my parents would take, you know, take me back so I could study. So like a lot, a lot of it was that I opted out of those experiences, which mm-hmm. is then, I, you know, during the time I remember feeling, oh, I'm not close to any of my church friends. Mm-hmm. But then when I reflect back on it, it was like, at least I share at least ha- over half the blame right. with regards to that. So I'm just curious because it could have been also because 
uh, you were at the smaller kind of downtown, you know, the demographics thing was very, that's mm-hmm. an interesting observation. So it could have been that, but just curious what your reflections are on that. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it, I guess, first off to get this out of the way, I don't think there were actually, you know, my memory is awful, famously awful, but I don't think that there were any official church offerings outside of Sunday mm. for, yeah. for our youth group. But that being said, I do think it would have been like six of one, half a dozen of the other in that all of us were like going to this one downtown campus area, but I live in Hyde Park. That's Mm -hmm. like already a 20 to 30 minute drive just to get there. And then they all come from other areas that were Mm -hmm. like maybe near downtown or like a little bit further, but like Chicago is that central hub. It wasn't necessarily exactly where they lived. And honestly, I don't even know where they lived. I'm just guessing at that point, but I'm just guessing like. There, there wasn't much initiative on any of our parts to get close to each other. And so that being said, even if there were, I probably also would have been in your shoes where yeah, I'm like, yeah. I, given where I was in high school and such, where I was like, oh, more often than not, I think if I were asked for any social event or whatever, if it wasn't just like a small group hangout, I'd probably say no, in all honesty, whether that was like for an activity or extracurricular or just to I'm not comfortable in big social things like that. So I'm just not going to go kind of thing. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is even, okay, Hey, you guys should intentionally try to get to know each other. I think that is something that we need to be taught. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't find that to be intuitive. A lot of people, what we hear from the culture or maybe even from our families is that you really invest time into family, but not really until, you know, outsiders or, you know, it was something I was taught growing up is you should just invest into people who can like benefit you. So like in- instead of investing in my church friends, I should really invest in some of my smartest friends at school who are mm-hmm. actually going to get far in life. So it, it was sort of like that kind of mentality, which was sort of drilled into me that I had to unlearn later on. Yeah, all that to say, yeah, like that has to be intentionally taught to people. And perhaps, you know, that wasn't as intentionally taught. Yeah, um, for sure. So how would you characterize like your people, you know, mixed experiences growing up in church and what they learned and things like that. But I think in large, there's my, my reflections again on it has been that a lot of it's me that can't receive the things that are trying to be taught. But so what did you take away from your youth group experience? As you think about how your spiritual journey has progressed from there, what do you think, what do you think your youth group experience provided for you in terms of a foundation or something Mm -hmm. that you could kind of go off of? Yeah, I'm, I think, first of all, just spiritually, this idea that no matter our differences, we kind of have, as long as we have the shared identity of Christians, we can kind of get along and get to know each other. And, you know, obviously, like, <laughs> we, we didn't really get to know each other too well. But I remember during those Sunday services or like when we went to retreats, we would be able to bond and to share and kind of be vulnerable with each other to an extent that I think if it were just like, say, Boy Scouts or something, some other guys who I would get together for an obligation Mm. once every week, I I would not have gotten that close and would not have interacted with them in that same way without that shared identity. So I think Mm. having that conception of, hey, regardless where you go, if these people are Christian and if you have that shared identity and can relate through that lens, there's a lot of potential for fellowship and bonding in that way. I think that was something very important, especially since I I typically find it, again, very hard to like socially open up to new people or get to know new groups. And so Mm -hmm. having that idea that, hey, those barriers aren't as close, aren't as high when there's other Christians you're interacting with, I think was very important for me. Additionally, spiritually shaping, I think plainly put, having that routine Sunday service knowledge 
kind of put in my head was good in that it got me accustomed to the sorts of knowledge and sorts of things you would find in the gospel. And it got me that kind of base grounding. Quite bluntly put, I think without having been raised a Christian, I'm not the kind of person that would become Christian. I don't think I would like, if you outreach to me on campus, I would be the kind to take the flyer, put it on my desk and never look at it until I threw it away while cleaning up. Yeah. I wouldn't go to any events that were offered because I'm like, oh, it's this weird event offered by some group. I'm not gonna go there by myself because why would I go to a group event with a bunch of randos with <laughs> just who, by who myself in for weird no reasons? Yeah, yeah. In, what do you believe? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just outreach would be very hard to get through to me. And then, yeah, yeah. yeah that's even w without getting into the whole, the ideas that are actually core to Christianity, right. which I, I think would be a lot harder to internalize and accept if I yeah. weren't Christian to begin with or raised up in yeah. that background. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting to me because like the... Like, like people who grow up in church, is, sometimes it's, you know, we hear this term thrown around a lot, like deconstruction, right? That's sort of in vogue right now in, in Christian circles and people, and it's referring to this process that a lot of people go through, like where you grew up in church and then you don't realize why you believe what you believe, right? And so then people have mm. placed the term, so you deconstruct every piece of, okay, so why is it that I believe this and why do I have to do this? And so then they deconstruct. And so then that's becomes sort of synonymous in our culture for like then people losing their faith as a result of that. Um, and it's kind of an interesting phenomenon to me because I don't think that. And so therefore deconstruction within Christianity, it sort of has a bad rap and it sort of, mm. you know, is being associated with a lot of these like celebrity Christians who lose their faith and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, and so the, the deconstruction is a scary thing. But no, I so from my perspective, uh, another perspective to that would be no, well, every every Christian needs to deconstruct or every person who grew up in church needs to deconstruct, quote unquote, because you have to figure out why you believe what you believe. And I think when I think about my journey, that's basically what I went through in my college years. It's, huh, okay, so why am I going to church? To go through that process. And, you know, I'm sure you had to go through that process too. Why am I saying all this? Basically, it's because once we deconstruct, we have to reconstruct, right? Mm -hmm. Like the deconstruction is so that we can understand the elements and then we reconstruct our faith and it becomes ours, right? And it becomes mm -hmm. stronger as a result. And so sometimes when people think about their years of in youth group or no matter what kind of church background you had, sometimes you can look at that and just look at the negative sides of it. Oh, what I didn't understand. Like this, these are the things that this church didn't teach me, or these are the things that they overemphasized and that really caused me to have a wrong gospel understanding. Okay. Yeah. That might exist. And yet my experience in reflection, reflecting about this is that, well, there's also a lot that they gave you. There's a lot that they gave you that we can't take for granted. And it's sort of what you're saying. Like, I, cause I, I feel the very much the same way that, if I hadn't learned a lot of these stories and values and a deep conviction that the things of God are generally good, right? Even if I wasn't sure how to explain it yet, if I didn't have some of those kinds of baseline convictions, it would have been a lot harder for me to even investigate with a clear head. And I think it made me in some ways more open-minded to the things of God, even if it wasn't mine yet, right? And yeah, anyways, just the, your experience resonates a lot with mine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So let's talk about, okay. So how would you summarize like your spiritual state coming into college then? Okay. So let's kind of mm -hmm. talk about lab schools. You got into Chicago, you're going to go all of one block to college and it's going to be awesome. Right. So you come into college, actually, what, before we get to your spiritual journey, let's just talk about that transition. How were you feeling about coming to Chicago from lab schools? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, that's hard to, 
describe, I guess. Was uh, it your top choice? It, it was my top. I, I applied oh, ED, okay. actually. Oh, you um, did? Okay. Yeah, yeah. For a variety of reasons. I, I applied as an English major, actually, because I, I still had thoughts like, oh, maybe I could try and get some job in the publishing industry or the editing, okay. book, book editing, because I really like to read. And then I was also interested in econ. And then there was some family stuff going on and it was really close by. And then et cetera, et cetera. Um, thoughts on U Chicago specifically? I don't really know if there were too many. I felt a little weird about being so super close to my family because I'm so super close to my family. You're like seven blocks away. Yeah, it's pretty rough. But, uh, you know, it was, was kind of nice. I think my main thoughts were the typical college thoughts, though, mm. of just like new era in my life, going to try and reconstruct myself a bit, try and approach things and get off on a better first foot than I did in high school and middle school and so on and so forth. Just, yeah, trying to treat it as that sort of new start that I think a lot of people tend to approach college mm. as. Yeah. Well, yeah. What were some of those new starts that you wanted? I think first of all, first and foremost, I was really aware of myself being super socially isolated and mm the kind of person that didn't really try new things, was just kind of coasting through life. And so I wanted to try doing a lot of things to figure out kind of what I liked, which ended up being a bad, it ended up being a big spiritual blocker for me. But mm. I also think it was good to experience that. Mm. I guess we'll go into that later. Yeah. It was also just things like trying to take more care of myself and you know dress better than I did in, mm. in middle school and high school, where it was just whatever the parents bought me etc etc kind of image reinventing plus trying new things yeah yeah i think that would kind of summarize it up if i had to boil it down to those two points yeah okay and then so then coming into college then what would you describe your spiritual state then oh Let's yeah that, that, that was a lot i guess for context as i am right now I would say that I had made my salvation decision already during high school, but then throughout my high school experiences, I had a lot of friends who kind of started coming out and professing, you know, along the LGBTQ plus scale. And so I was trying to think really hard about Christianity in relation to that. And I felt a little uneasy about asking my church or youth group leaders for that mm. knowledge on, on what their views, et cetera, were. And so I was doing a lot of online research and getting a lot of conflicting opinions from mm. conservative and then liberal Christians, et cetera, et cetera, and all that, that entire wacky scale. So I was feeling very kind of lost and not sure exactly what Christianity was in relation to, yeah. to kind of modern, modern, I don't know, concepts slash ways of, of social waves. And so my current state then my past state, I don't know what I just said. My past state then was this kind of stagnant, I do believe in God, but I'm not sure exactly what that means or how to apply that or live mm. that out. So I'm just going to, oh, I believe in God. Good for me. Put a pause sign on that, you know, good enough for now. Come back to it mm. after college, after I get a job, after things kind of stabilize and I'm better able to bandwidth redirect from all of this, you know, all the exciting college stuff into mm. something that's you know, that all frees up and I can put that back into discovering this. So that is to say my spiritual state was not too great. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
No, thanks for sharing that. I wanted to just a follow up question on something you said that I'm just curious about because, you know, because as you were saying, you had various friends who were coming out, you know, on the LGBTQ plus scale. Mm-hmm. And, and so you had questions about that. And then you mentioned that that's not something you wanted to bring up with church people. Was there a reason for that? I'm just curious. It's a very relatable, I guess, sentiment. But in, in the way it played out for you, was there were there some signals that you were getting from church that you shouldn't bring those up or was it like some assumptions that you had or yeah you're just curious why, why that in your mind wasn't the option you wanted to take yeah there was a couple things in there one of them i think was kind of fear just mm-hmm. like i think the gut feeling i had was more on the side of okay that that's kind of a sin and i didn't really know where that would where to go from there mm. but I was afraid that, oh, if I ask and I get this confirmed, suddenly I have to action on that or not Mm. action, but shift mentally on that, et cetera, et cetera. And so I didn't want to kind of commit in that sense, which is one of the things, but there was more. I think part of it was a trust issue, to be Mm. honest, not even trust in like that trust in them as people, but kind of a competence trust issue. Oh, (laughs) my, My youth group leader was super nice. Absolutely loved her but because our youth group is so small and we combine middle and high school the sunday services tended to be on the more basic kind of joylandish side mm. of things which was not super spiritually filling or not super intellectually stimulating per se as a high schooler uh, and so i was oh is she gonna know the answer or yeah. i so there was that aspect of things um and Joyland, for people who might not know that, is it used to be what we called our, our kids program at our church. So that's what you're referring to when you say it's yeah. more Joylandish. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and but I guess that was sort of it was I, I, yeah, and that that's totally understandable where you're coming from. And but it's it is I guess on your end. It's mm-hmm. like in your mind. Oh yeah. It, oh, and so then you just don't want to like open that can of worms, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I guess that's kind of what it all boils down to. Basically, it was yeah. like like those two points. There is some other stuff, but that could all kind of probably be brought back to those mm. two in some way or another. Yeah. Yeah. And it's understand. I mean, cause, cause it's such a, I mean, it's not just that issue. I mean, anything that's a hot topic or that could be viewed as, Oh, why are you bringing that up? I mean, you know, the church has sort of, unfortunately, maybe like a stereotype or kind of people assume that's going to be the response that you receive. Cause maybe mm-hmm. enough people have gotten those kinds of responses and we hear about it. And, you know, I think that's unfortunate. And yeah. And so I guess for people who are listening to this, I would want people to also know that, those kinds of really tough issues, like life, like culture issues, like how do we live this out and how do we relate to people? Like these kinds of sensitive things, there are things that we are happy to talk about. Right. And, and I would want people to know that, you know, some people might ask, Hey, how come we don't address those things more publicly at Sunday service, for example. And my reason for that. So I don't know what other people's reasons are. My, my reason for that in our context is that I have, a very small number of sermons that I get with all the college students. So essentially it comes down to about 27 sermons a year, right? Because people are here for three quarters and each mm-hmm. quarter is nine weeks. And, you know, but if you throw in, th- you know, things and stuff like that, really, you can only get, you get it like maybe seven, you know, like holidays and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Seven Sundays a, a quarter, right? So it's like a little over 20 sermons. And, and so for me, like, I really want to hit kind of what we would call primary issues with regards to gospel, sin, creation, lordship. So I really try to stay within the bounds of that. And then the kind of secondary teachings around things that are more culture related or, 
or even maybe like theological in nature, but are not primary gospel issues. We try to cover those things in times that are outside, like either through small groups or one-on-one conversations, midweek gatherings and things like that. And that's, I would really encourage for people to bring those kinds of things up because I think Mm -hmm. those conversations are crucial or crucial, but, but I don't want to use a Sunday service, for example, airtime to, to address those issues. So just throwing in my few thoughts there around that. Yeah. So coming to college, you're, you know, you're, so you're looking for a church or (laughs) no, oh, you're not looking for a church. (laughs) No, I was like, no no active religion until after college, basically. Okay. So you were pretty much ready to quit like for the time being. For the time being with air quotes, because let's oh, be real, if I quit, I probably wasn't going to start up again. <laughs> oh, I see. Interesting. Okay, so then what happened? <laughs> well, I live in Chicago and yeah. I live in Hyde Park, so I'm a native and it's moving day and I got a new roommate. So, hey, want me to show you around campus? Oh, yeah, sure. I'm walking <laughs> around campus and then we see this table and there's like a bunch of donuts. These people are there and they're just handing them out left and right. <laughs> oh, donuts, free donuts. Let's go. <laughs> walking up get some donuts, start talking a little bit. It's Ben Liu and Noah King. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm talking to Ben and then he brings up, I'm like, so why are you guys, you know, I'm paraphrasing because I don't yeah. remember exactly how the conversation yeah. goes, but something along the lines of, so what are you guys doing out here handing donuts for? Oh, actually, we're part of this church, which is handing out, you know, some flyers, doing some welcome week stuff. Are you interested? Are you looking for a church? <laughs> My internal monologue is now panicking as I'm realizing, <laughs> oh, shoot. This is as close to a sign from God as I'm probably going to get for the next four years. I can't really say no, since I'm still internally thinking of myself as a practicing Christian. And so I say yes. And then because I say yes, obviously that means I have to actually show up. And then, you know, first, first sermon, it's you talking about how Christians need to stick together with their shared identity to resist the school's Babylon-esque brainwashing into not being Christian. And I'm feeling super targeted. But also oh, yeah, like, oh, shit. The Daniel message. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so, so I'm feeling super targeted and the being like, all right, I guess I just got to stay now, huh? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I knew that before, but well, never so colorfully uh, narrated from, <laughs> narrated by you. Before. Very, very vivid memory for me. Wow. Yeah. Hey, praise the Lord uh, for that, man. Praise the Lord for those donuts. Uh, yeah, that's funny. I actually remember that first Sunday where you showed up and it was really, it was funny. I know we've told this story before, but you happened to walk in with a set of parents, mm-hmm. which I assumed was your parents. And so we're like, oh, hi, welcome, whatever. We're like introducing her. Oh, is this your son? They're like, we don't know that kid. (laughs) And you're like, I don't know these people. (laughs) I was like, oh, where's your child? And then turns out their kid was like, you know, 30 feet behind because he was getting a welcome table, welcome gift or something. I forget what happened. He also got distracted walking into looking at the art. Oh, yeah. That's funny. So, you know, so you through all of that, you started coming out to our church. So what tell us about what's. What was the spiritual progress that happened over the next couple of years? Like, what would you say was like kind of your, the big defining moments in, in your college career with regards to spirituality? Oh, man. <laughs> Very slow pro- process to, uh, progress, to be perfectly honest. I think the first probably major thing would have been around second year. I was I was in a dorm apartment. It was COVID year. I was in a dorm apartment with some friends from my 
kind of major friend group at that time, which was the classic first year dorm friend group that's mm. that always forms. Mm. And there was surprise some relational drama mm. that quickly expanded into serious drama. Mm. And it was very much a bit of a turnoff for me, just given how people were interacting with each other and how the situation was handled. And I, I remember I was kind of going to you know small groups and other stuff at that time. And there was a fair amount of support and kind of good advice <laughs> given to me mm. by other people that were there and older mentors. And that was probably the first time where I was, I found myself kind of coming closer to church as opposed to more secular other friend groups. So that was probably the first milestone. So if I'm hearing that, it was just the, I guess the pain of your primary reference group was this kind of dorm group of friends, but then there was some pain there because of this drama that was happening. And so then that caused you to withdraw from that group. Is that what happened? Or I okay. guess it was, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a pretty decent way to phrase that. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was like, me actually spending more time with people in church. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And kind of, kind of pushed me towards that realm of things. And then obviously, you know, we had started DT groups up around then and or before then mm -hmm. actually, but that was also another way where we were getting kind of closer to each other and kind of sharing about our lives with each other. And I, I remember those as being pretty sweet times, even if it was uh, very, I don't know. 7 a.m. groggy, can't really remember exactly <laughs> what happened, but the overall, you know, oh yeah, that was good <laughs> kind of feel. Wait, we met you at 7 a.m. for DT? No, it was the one where we were meeting on our own. Oh, but you guys met at 7 a.m. Yeah. That was early. It was like oh 7 my. or 8 a.m. It, oh it, was, it was early morning that for classes. That was ambitious. Yeah. Ambitious. Yeah, that was, that was, oh, because people were busy during the day. Yeah, exactly. That's why. Okay, okay, yeah. That's uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah. And then besides that, I think third year end of third year spring retreat. That's mm. where I made my lordship decision. I had been, like I mentioned before, very busy with all of these mm. new things that I had started trying in college mm. and found myself unable to really back out of. And so the big primary struggle for me then was actually making it to retreat. Cause you know, first and second year I'd been, oh, whatever, I'm just gonna go hang out with people as opposed to going to this or that retreat. I don't, you know, I go to Sunday service, what's a retreat kind of thing. But then third year I was like, oh, at this point I was going to more small group stuff. I was feeling more like maybe I should, but then also I had this other really big commitment. And so I was like, oh no, I actually just, I just can't make a retreat this year. And that ended up being a very hard decision for me to make. But then once we were there, there was a very good message about lordship being making jesus the center of your life and i was reflecting on how hard it had been just to get to that retreat and then a bunch of other things that i was doing that were absolutely crowding out other church involvement for me and spiritual growth opportunities for me so i was very convicted at that time and made my lordship decision and then i'd say probably the final kind of quote-unquote milestone probably generalizing here would be end of fourth year when mm -hmm. Things were starting to free up. I was still dying in classes, but generally whatever my GPU is good enough at this point kind of vibe. And then looking at our younger bros and saying, hey, I need to get to know you guys better. Mm. And so we ended up going to get late night pretty much every night for a consecutive month. <laughs> 
<laughs> we racked up six hours of, of, of close conversation in travel time alone, wow. which was... <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It was very good for very us memorable. spiritually and emotionally. I'm not so sure about physically. Yeah, not but... so sure physically, man. Yeah, that's a sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah, sacrifice. it's a sacrifice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a hard thing for those guys. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. So coming out of your so junior year lordship, well, you know, what you're describing as your lordship decision. So what could you tell me about? So what was that decision for you? Like, and what came out of that? What were, so I guess... I guess on two levels, like internally, what was the decision? Like if you had to try to describe that and then how did that work itself out in your life? Yeah. I think like I mentioned, uh, the main meat of the decision was giving Jesus primacy of my life, that Mm. center aspect. I had been thinking of Jesus as a really important part of my life as Mm. church is this important part of my identity, but it was not the central core. And so what that looked like to me was just saying no to certain offerings, Mm. meetings, Mm. opportunities to even fellowship for other things that were, you know, not spiritual. (laughs) Yeah. And then what that changed then looked was just very practically speaking, doing the opposite and saying yes to going to prayer meetings, saying yes to go to DTs, to small group times, to Saturday hangouts and fun trips mm. over other things and other meetings with other friends, et cetera, et cetera, mm. which was <laughs> yeah. kind of a hardship for me to make. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Cause you know, we talk about Lordship a lot and I guess because of also the Luke, we've been going through the gospel of Luke for Sunday services. So that's, mm-hmm. that topics come up a lot for us in our Sunday services just this past year. And, and it's one of these things where, yeah, we kind of talk about lordship as a concept because I think it's a concept that a lot of people are not aware of or missing in their mind. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's why we call that out. But it's interesting because it's not really like when, if you think about, um, I guess, the decision to follow Christ, it really ought not to be a separate concept. It really ought to be like hmm. one and the same thing. But I guess it just helps to talk about it on its own and yeah so for me like I, in, in my journey too i think i guess because we both grew up in like korean kind of <laughs> korean american <laughs> church tradi- traditions and no so I, I had this very similar experience of well i i understood a lot in like youth group i would would have described myself as a christian in some ways i'm actually still slightly confused okay so did i become a christian in middle school in high school or in college like for me sometimes that's unclear depending on how I talk about it, like they mm-hmm. all kind of make sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All I know is that by college, I really made a decision. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I had yeah. all the pieces at that point. And then it just from there, it's been a matter of working that out. So anyways, it, it, like I just want to appreciate that that kind of difficulty in your story, too, because because, you know, you like knew a lot of stuff. And then there was this really important aspect of following Jesus that wasn't clear or got clarified, like a little bit later on. So since then, you know, obviously you've, you stayed after graduation. You're a member now at our church, serving in kind of a youth ministry capacity here. And so could you tell us a little bit about what, like why, what was behind the decision to stay around? I know, you know, your family's around here and stuff. So maybe that, you know, that makes things more natural too, but like, you know, what was sort of your thought process behind that? Yeah. (laughs) I always feel a little sheepish answering this question because I think usually people have stories about wrestling with X, Y, or Z, but that kind of wasn't the case for yeah, me. Okay. Yeah. I, 
I mean, like I said, I absolutely love our community and I felt very cared for and I felt like I had strong relationships with a lot of the staff and other members of the church. I also, like you mentioned, I have family that's still mm-hmm. very nearby. So that's not strictly a plus, but it is not a negative mm-hmm. either. So okay. I, it was a factor for sure. Mm-hmm. And then I also had a, a remote job offering that is, you know, stay in a place where I have people that I know, including family members without having to move. It felt very, okay, well, that's kind of an easy decision to make. I don't feel like I'm really giving up anything. So <laughs> that's probably why I made a decision to, to stay in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then to continue serving was just wanting to continue to grow, I guess, and having seen and acknowledged that I do have a lot of spiritual growth to go. And you, I kind of need to be in the church to, to continue on that path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So right now you're, you know, living with... <laughs> So your living situation is a little different because before you, I guess, lived with like college friends around the same age. Now you're in a living situation with some other of the single brothers in our ministry. They're, and a lot of them are a little older than you, right? So yeah. what's that? Tell me about that experience. What's that been like? I've been really enjoying it, actually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it always kind of surprises people because it's, oh, there's six guys in one house and you have two bedrooms that you guys use, you know, like a bunch <laughs> of bunk beds. You're in a room with four guys, like three guys t- Three other guys. Yeah. What? Yeah, I'm yeah. like, I don't know. I like it. Yeah. I, I mean, I used to live in a house of 26 guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't yeah, know what's exactly. wrong with six. What's it's, the problem? It's only six guys. <laughs> yeah. Just from a purely spiritual perspective, having older guys to count on for advice and then discipline. You know, Monday morning DTs. We do them together as a house. That's very routine, but also regulated and. Regulated is the wrong word. Regulated sounds too draconian and authoritarian. But having that structure, that scaffolding of a regular spiritual aspect of mm-hmm. our day-to-day life is very important. You know, even when I was trying to live with Cuba and some other guys in third and fourth year, we never actually, we tried kind of doing morning DTs, but we never made it a strict regular thing. And so that, that ended up never happening, basically. Mm-hmm. And... I'm still kind of like that where I need things to be structured. I need things to be kind of laid out so that I'll do them because on my own, I have the initiative of a goldfish on dry land and mm. just won't do anything. Yeah. And I need that kind of structure. So I've been very much enjoying that. And then, you know, obviously like people that are older, they know how to live as adults. They know how to cook. Mm. They like, you know, we do have set cleaning days. You have some good cooks in that set. house. Yeah, yeah, it's been mm-hmm. great. I've been yeah. learning a lot also. And <laughs> yeah. so it's been just, in terms of lifestyle alone, that's just been, I mean, I'm not going to get this from living with some other rando 20-something-year-old who's mm. also on his first job or whatever. Yeah. And it's they're nice people. They're fun people. We play board games a lot. I can mm. talk with them. What, you know? Is that your, <laughs> is what's your favorite house activity? Is it board games? Favorite house, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's board games. Okay. Of course. What is the board game of choice right now? Board your- game of choice right now. We've been playing a lot of Star Wars, Star Wars, the deck building game, but I am, we recently bought Pokemon Splendor, which is this Pokemon branded version of the Splendor game, which was only made and produced in South Korea. Oh, So it is all in Korean, but because it's Splendor, you don't need to read it all to play the game. I played it once, but that was a lot of fun. I'm not familiar with Splendor at all, so I have no idea what that means, but I'll trust that it's fun. Yeah, yeah it's a good game. And then what, what's what been like, I guess what's different is, you know, because 
it's weird because I, I hear a lot and I guess I experienced this too. But like when you go from undergrad to postgrad, you're like, oh, man, the experience is different. And you get to. Uh, yeah. So just tell me a little bit about that. Have you experienced that? Oh, yeah. What's been the change? What's different? Uh, just what are your thoughts around that? I mean, everything's different. Just everything's different. It's just a different church. This is actually <laughs> like everything that you, nothing that you thought you knew is actually true. Maybe not that everything. Okay, okay, okay. Like almost <laughs> that's everything. A, that's a big word. That's a big word, man. <laughs> yeah, tell, right, talk about right. that. First of all, no longer in school. And I mean, not only no longer at school, no longer at U Chicago. Mm. So no classes, no extracurriculars. That's kind of a lot of time, even with your job. And... I think that frees up a lot for more church involvement and more ministry. I'm, mm. you know, I mean, besides hanging out with the guys, doing our remote work, I'm just involved in a lot more ministry as part of, you know, as part of being a member mm. and I mean, like staff development and such. And so there's a lot more of that spiritual, like I mentioned earlier, spiritual blending into my day-to-day -day life, which is really good. And I think personally speaking, I used busyness. I didn't use it. It was kind of a fact, but I did use it as a bit of an excuse to kind of slow spiritual growth, just being like, oh, I don't have as much time to read this equipping book or learn this skill because I have this schoolwork and this extracurricular, even, you know, which I'm already giving up a lot of other stuff to go to our small groups or whatever. So now that's no longer there. I'm having a lot more time to grow, a lot more time to kind of, <laughs> yeah, to grow, to try and equip myself. And I'm also running a lot more into facing myself, I guess, and finding out the ways that, oh, just because that stuff is gone does not mean those obstacles are gone. Now I'm having mm -hmm. to face a lot more, you know, in school, there's a lot of systemic obstacles, but those are gone now. And I have mm -hmm. to face myself as this failure of a person who needs God's <laughs> grace. And is, yeah. I'm a lazy, selfish, prideful, angry bum of a guy who needs to get over himself and become more spiritual. And that's definitely been the biggest change, I think, is just being kind of more aware of that and facing mm. into that more and trying to overcome that more in an active way, if that makes sense. Just, yeah, having those excuses kind of stripped away and being able to fully invest in myself and my spiritual growth. Yeah. So how is it that you realize those things? You know, you kind of said oh, all these like negative adjectives, right? So is it because in college you had, so you had more excuses mm -hmm. and so that's why I'm not blank. But is it that even with all the, more time you still experience yourself not being able to blank is that why kind or of or i'm having difficulties with x or y like personal you know take like relationships for example mm -hmm. it'd be like <clears throat> oh i am relationally cold and isolated because i am spending time working on schoolwork no yeah. i'm relationally cold and isolated because i'm a relationally cold and isolated guy who just I like, see. does yeah. my own okay thing. so now that the excuse that you've given yourself is gone like you kind of have to just, yeah, just say, well, it's just me. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then also yeah. just, there's more time being myself and not being a student, which means more times messing up. Like student lunch, I am going to go between classes to pick up a food truck sandwich and then go to my next class and eat it on the way. Now lunch, I am in the kitchen arguing with how over <laughs> how... <laughs> The, we should use old rice or new rice. And this is totally hypothetical. We haven't yeah. argued over this yeah, specifically, yeah, yeah. but yeah. there's more, there's just more being genuine and therefore seeing yeah. my own. Like, so I guess part of it is that you're interacting with people more often. Yeah. I guess yeah. that's more, I'm yeah. living life as opposed to dying in school. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is something I appreciate that observation though, because I, you know, I think that's part of what we're trying to communicate to students too, though, is that look like 
you do have to think about these things now because it's not like it's going to change all that much. Mm-hmm. It's not actually in some ways it'll get exposed more later on, like the various deficiencies that we have, right? Everything from moral deficiency is what we would call sin to non-moral deficiencies like character or relational deficiencies or, you know, and we think that if we were to remove, you know, because I guess up until college, all you know, all your life is school, right? Mm-hmm. And so and people who are in Chicago, like they had hard school, you know, more most of their life. And so then, yeah. But anyways, like getting rid of that is not going to solve it necessarily. Yeah. yeah. And, and then it's. There's also the aspect of, okay, now I have time to focus on these things to try and address them. <clears throat> in school, it was just like, oh, you know, if I really bunker down and focus on trying to work on this aspect of my life, mm. it should, I should make progress. But now I'm saying, oh no, progress is hard to make. It's mm. kind of slow. And sometimes it feels like I'm actually backsliding in some ways. And it's a hard struggle against X or Y sin that I'm really trying to deal with now. And uh, just becoming more real in that sense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So is there anything in terms of your experience of our church mm. that as a undergrad, you wish you had gotten, like you had seen earlier as you kind of experienced mm. postgrad life? I don't know if there's mm. anything like that where you feel like, hmm, well, that would have been really good to know, like as an undergrad, or it would have been good to experience that. Dang. I think, oh man. I think for one, just kind of showing appreciation. I, I think I kind of, you know, you, you understand on an intellectual level, oh, I'm ungrateful. I'm probably taking some things for granted. I mm. should be more appreciative. Or, oh, I am grateful to the staff for X, Y, or Z. Mm. But then just really graduating and then seeing all the work they put in, all the hours and like effort that is put into even something super small, relatively speaking grow groups mm. is just like, wow that's really impressive and really hard <laughs> and oh, interesting. these students yeah. wow <laughs> yeah yeah it's not like they're ungrateful but i think just not having grasped the magnitude of what goes into to everything I, I feel like that's something i kind of wish i had known mm. so i could express gratitude for it while being a recipient of it mm. still what else i guess taking i don't know student privileges in terms of being able to to take ownership of your relationships and fellowship i guess that's a lot of words that come together and i'm not sure if they make sense when put together yeah i'm not sure what you mean i i I guess as staff we're happy i say we now i'm not sure if that's still fully but uh, you know you know like you know we're we're happy when students want our side now (laughs) (laughs) we're like happy when students want to get together and hang out Mm. and i think that my perspective, at least, I guess it's probably different for the guys and the girls, maybe, because the guys are more spread out under some Neil at IIT and stuff. But my, my point is, when students kind of get together and take their own initiative and try to do things together, whether that's DT, just fellowship, or some sort of outreach, that's really nice. And hmm. I feel like nice is probably too understated word, but that's, that's, that's very encouraging to see. And I kind of just took it for granted that church stuff would be driven by the staff, driven by the church, mm, I think, to some extent. And if you're willing to try and start that and engage in that or do something, the staff will give you their support and they'll help you and give you advice and stuff. And I don't know if that's maybe just kind of my experience, because I definitely heard stories of like mm. staff and stuff and, and even current students doing kind of initiatives like 
course 101 teaching, for example. But something along those lines where yeah. students kind of interacting with each other and coming together as kingdom workers, as well as just fellowship, fellowship yeah. is just very encouraging to see and yeah. is something that people should think about. <laughs> yeah, okay. Dang. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> It wasn't what I intended for the question, but it ended up being sort of advice that you would give. Yeah, because it's sort of so on the one hand, yeah, yeah, you wish you had appreciated what it takes to put on ministry events. There's that. And I guess the other side of that I'm hearing is, oh, we should entrust that more to our students, actually. I feel like there's no reason why like the juniors, the upperclassmen get together and put on like one of our voyage gatherings or something like that. And they just they run it. And so then maybe some of that just, you know, you get to see kind of what it takes like ahead of time, right? Maybe even there's that aspect. And then, you know, and then what you're saying about, yeah, like the, it's not, we're not here to just, we need a monopoly on putting on events and we mm-hmm. need to drive your spiritual life. No, what we actually want is like every person to really own their spiritual life and then to take ownership over each other, to have that kind of open and honest relationship, you know, even amongst the students. And that is what we hope for. And when we see that, it's really awesome. Yeah, that's cool, man. So okay, what, what don't we end with this? Okay. Yes. Yeah, so if you just... Any final words or advice mm. that you would want to give mm. to our undergrad population here? You Chicago IIT, UIC now, because mm. Alana, Alana comes out oh, too. that's but, right. Yeah. What advice would you give regard, with regards to college years? I think very heavily about what you prioritize, to what degree and why, and where you are investing in. This was, as I have kind of beaten to a dead horse at this point, a very important concept for me to wrap my head around for my lordship, but uh, <clears throat> there's only so much time, especially time that you have in college. And obviously, you know, certain things are important to do. Don't fail out of college, but there are a lot of, I think, sweet memories as well as really cool things you can do for ministry or just with each other and just a purely experiential level that I think you can only really do in college. And that requires you to invest in each other. And invest in your relationships and invest in your spiritual growth. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know, it's easy to just kind of say, I'm doing the, I'm doing my bid, I'm doing my DT, I'm maybe even reading some book that was recommended. But I would encourage you to think about what it might look like if you broke out of that routine and kind of, I don't know, pioneered or took into ownership. Where, what that might look like. There's a lot of experiences and access that I think I no longer have, even as an alum who is still pretty closely connected with people at the school that I knew. But even then I've lost access in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of opportunities that I'm just not going to have again. And we say this a lot, but it really is a once in a lifetime experience that you should kind of consider what that means if you haven't before. Because mm. yeah. I know I definitely hadn't while I was still being told that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then for someone to actually do what you're advising, which is to really consider how they're going to use their college years and figure out prioritization, basically, right? When your typical <laughs> your Chicago student is like drowning in schoolwork, or at least experientially so. What's that going to take, you know? Like, mm. and what comes to mind is, I mean, it's going to it's gonna take a very firm grasp on who you are and what you're ultimately called to do. Because if, if you don't have a firm grasp on Christ's call on you, then your default calling and identity will become whatever you Chicago says you are. And 
what you Chicago says you are is that you're a student and obviously you are a student, mm-hmm. but that whole culture that we have at the school of if you're not giving every waking hour to your studies, like then there's something wrong with you. So there's that identity. And then there's the identity that the world gives you, which is that you have to be someone who's caught up with, you know, whatever it is for you, entertainment or extracurricular. And unless you have some set number of hours where you're doing that, you're like a a loser and a failure or something like that. And these kinds of things come in and then they're going to overtake any chance that Christ has to form you into a blessing on this campus. And like your advice, I really resonate with that. And yet at the same time, I just, I'm just like, oh man, so that what it's going to take is it's going to take someone to really understand you are not what you Chicago says. You are not what the world says you are. You're not what your friends do. You have to really start your journey around what Christ says you are and then, and make all other decisions based on that. Yeah. Yeah. Any last thoughts? I I guess just kind of a follow up to what you said, I would actually add in that you're not even who you say you are. Mm. I I think, I think for me that that's something I've been grappling with a lot in my last couple years at college, as well as after graduating, it's just pride and being like, I don't really consider myself to be a really prideful person, but on, on a lot of reflection, I totally am. And so there are many ways in which I could be like, Oh, I don't think X, Y, or Z blanket statements would apply to me, but they totally do in small other ways. It was mm. just, I don't know. You Self-reflection is really important. And mm. I I think that's a very good start to, to get on this journey that, you know, DP mentioned. If you're not journaling or if you're not journaling heavily, I would recommend doing so and mm. journal well, you know, don't just keep a diary. Actually <laughs> think. I <Yeah. laughs> Small things that, I think are very easy to think that we do when we're actually not sure what it is we're not doing. You know, you're mistaken about that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, thanks, Matt, for your time. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Deep Pod. Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation with Matt. Yeah, we talked about all sorts of things in that one. It was juicy. So thank you. Thank you for all that content, Matthew. (laughs) All right. We'll see you guys next time.